Father, this morning we just come to you. We just come to you, author, finisher of our faith. We are all on that journey, Lord, and we cannot either walk one day or finish this journey alone. We need you. Without you, you once again confess, without you we can do nothing. We confess our weakness, but that's not all that we confess. We proclaim your strength. We do not just say we can do nothing. We also proclaim through Christ we can do all things. So Christ Jesus, Spirit of God, come, touch us this morning. To hear, to believe, to obey. Touch our will each day, Lord. We give you the right to touch our will, that our will will be bent always in your direction, in obedience. Let the ministry of your word never go void, because you have promised it will achieve its purpose for which it is being sent forth. Even this morning, Lord, speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. For those of you who weren't there here yesterday, for which most had no excuse because it was a holiday, unless you are flying kites on a pastor's conference, when you are invited to come freely and eat lunch freely and receive the message freely, but you choose to stay at home, at your peril. So I'm starting from where I stopped yesterday. And you want to know what is what was preached yesterday? It's on the web. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 is where we begin with. We're talking about, we've been talking about the promise God has given us as a church and all our churches for this year. For that to come to pass, it will demand consecration. And Ruth is the, is the, is the, the, the little book with four chapters, if I'm right, in the Bible, you don't find a more consecrated, dedicated person probably in the entire Bible among humans. I'm not talking about Jesus. In the Old Covenant especially, than this young Moabite Gentile girl. But the book of Ruth begins like this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. That's how it begins. Now, as we have taught you over the years, every scripture is breathed, breathed in literally by the Spirit of God. Therefore, it has depth, layers and layers and layers of depth. All of us, as we continue to study, continue to wait upon the Lord over the period of years, He keeps on showing the same scripture, what it means at different levels. That's the awesome Awesome joy of learning scripture because it is literally like knowing a person. You get to know a person over a period of time more and more and more. And you know God as you study scriptures and the Holy Spirit opens his eyes. To young ones who are over here, whenever you have certain books like this, always open the previous page and see how did the last book end. The book previous to that end. If you look at the last verse of the book previous to Ruth, which is Judges, the last verse says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. That's how the book of Judges ends, and Ruth begins with these words. So, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And if you go chronologically, the next verse in the Bible, different book, the next verse says, When the judges ruled, when the judges ruled, every man was doing as he was, he saw fit. Because there is no king in Israel. 
Spiritual lesson. When the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not established in our lives, we have judges. We are our own judges. And we do as we fit. We do as we like. Because the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not established in our lives. And therefore, scripture says also, at that time, there was a famine in the land. Famine has got nothing to do with raining. Famine has come in everybody's life in the Bible. There was famine in Abraham's time. There was famine in Isaac's time. There was famine in Jacob's time. There was famine in David's time. There is famine here too. There is famine during Samaria, during one of the kings. But what is the reason God sends famine? Unless famine, basically lack of anything. Famine comes, we really never know who we really are. In good times, everybody is good, like they are in church. After church, hello brother, how are you brother? God bless you brother. When famine comes, you will know your real nature. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says, talks about Israel. I led you into the wilderness and caused you to hunger. He led them into a place where there was nothing. He caused them to hunger and fed them with something which they never knew so that they would know what was within them. And everything that was within Israel came out. In our typical translation in Hindu-English from Malayalam, when, when we are very spiritual, we speak in other tongues. When famine comes, we speak in mother tongue. Okay? Peter was very spiritual and says, even if everyone forsakes you, I will come and die with you. I will not. Then when he was caught by the servant girl, he started speaking in his mother tongue. He started swearing. Okay? Understand. That's what famine does. That's why God sends famine. When famine comes, judges don't do anything. If you are a person constantly living under your own judgment, making your own decisions, you will just choose to go in the way of the flesh. But if the Lordship of Jesus Christ is established, then you will see when famine came in the time of Isaac, God stopped him and said, Gerard, stop there. Don't move into, into Egypt like your father. Stay here. But Lord, it is famine. He said, don't worry. You stay here and you obey me and I will take care of you. And you will know in a very difficult circumstance, he obeyed God in famine and scripture says he reaped a hundredfold. Three years, year after year, in a row, three years, there was famine during David's reign. One year he thought, okay, it's a natural thing. Second year he thought maybe it's an outflow of the previous famine. But the third year he knew there is something here. Scripture says David went and inquired of the Lord. Lord, why is there famine in my life? If you're going through famine year after year after year in your life, it is not natural. If you're a child of God, it's not natural. God did not come to ordain famine in our lives. He's never ordained. He said, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. And when David inquires of the Lord, God says, the reason for famine is somebody has broken my law. He says, who? He said, King Saul. What did he do? He said, he killed the Gibeonites. God's got a long memory and his word cannot be broken. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier when Joshua handed into the promised land and he was conquering king after king after king, the Gibeonites got scared. So they fooled Joshua. They came dressed after a three-day journey with like old clothes, bread with mold and all and told Joshua, Joshua, we have come from far away. We have heard about you. We want to make peace with you. And scripture says, Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. 
and he made peace with them. And God had said, you shall not peace, make peace with anybody in Canaan. He made peace with them. And he made peace with them in the name of the Lord. A little later they found out these guys had fooled them. And these guys are nearby neighbors. But now they have, they are caught in a trap. One, God said you have to finish them off. Now they have made a peace with them in the name of the Lord. They have to keep the second one. Because it's in the name of the Lord. They cannot break it. Maybe 400, 500 years later when King Saul in his religious seal breaks that oath which Joshua had made with Gibeon in the name of the Lord, God says, famine has come into your nation. And you know what happens. The Gibeonites, he calls the Gibeonites, he asks them, what do you want? They said, we want seven sons of Saul in return. We want to hang them up in public. These are all different stories, incredible messages on each of these things. And you will even see there, he will give them seven grandsons of Saul, but he will spare Mephibosheth because of Jonathan's sake. Grace will work through it all. Okay, so that's the reason for famine. So it's interesting when judges rule, when the lordship of Jesus Christ is not in our lives, we react to famine in a different way. And here is a man, a certain man. His name could be given here. It's only given subsequently. But this is given because it's a lesson to us saying, anyway, anybody sitting here who has not accepted the lordship of Jesus Christ, when lack, calamity, trial, testing, tribulation, famine comes, what will they do even if he is a man from Bethlehem, Judah? Bethlehem, house of bread. Judah, praise. He is a man who goes to church, called after the lion of Judah. He's got, his credentials are incredible. But he will go and dwell in the country of Moab. Where will we go? He will live, leave from God's appointed place, Jerusalem, Israel, Canaan, the promised place, and he will go into a land of abomination. What does God call Moab in his Bible? In the word? He says, Moab is my washpot. That's what happens. But outwardly you never sense it that I am a child of God, I have gone to the washpot. Because in Moab, you are prospering. The green is always, grass is always greener on that side. They are prospering. And you will see what happens when they are there. We'll come to that. But before we come to that, they're going to go through incredible testing, this family. But ultimately, briefly putting it across, the book of Ruth is the story of three women. Representing three types of church people. All start the same journey in the same direction but end up differently. It's a book of trials. Ruth is a book of trials. And how you can either respond to trials in one of these three ways. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, scripture says, My brethren, count it all when you fall into various trials. This is the injunction by the Holy Spirit. When famine comes into your life, trial comes into life, tribulation comes into life, Trouble, learn to worship like those children. Count it, call joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And, verse 4, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking nothing. God says the purpose of the trial from God's side is to mature us, to make us perfect so that we lack nothing spiritual. We can handle any situation. That is God's purpose of a trial, of a famine in our lives. There are three things one can do when trials come. And trials will come. Why will trials come? Because three things have to be tested in our spiritual lives. First Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now abide faith, hope, love. These three and the greatest of these is love. Three things. This is the most important three things in a believer's life. Faith, hope and charity. Agape, love. All these three have to be tested because they are the most precious, most valuable, if you want to use the term commodity, most valuable stuff in a believer's life. And everything of value needs to be tested. Otherwise you will never know if it is genuine or not. In First Peter chapter 1 verses 6 to 9, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hold it there, okay? He says, first, your faith has to be tested. Is your faith test real? Now metro rail is coming on. Once it is finished, it doesn't mean they will start immediately. You will see their ass, brother Banu will say, always trial runs on new tracks. Never with passengers. Good trains and all go first on new tracks. Am I right? Yeah. First trial run because you need to see whether the track can hold that weight. So our faith is the bridge that takes us to heaven. You have been saved by grace through faith. What if your faith is not genuine? You are not saved. Your faith cannot take the weight of grace. Need to understand why this has to be constantly tested. That's why scripture says examine your faith, whether you are in the faith. And the only answer is when you examine Christ Jesus should be found in you. You need to realize faith is not something intellectual. It is an actual experience. A real living experience with God. This has to be tested. Grace never has to be tested. It is God. It's the power of God. Faith has to be tested because I receive grace through faith. It is the bridge through which I receive grace. If my faith is not genuine, then I have, as scripture says, I have received the grace of God in vain. I did not. I, I, and you may be thinking I am saved. Think that we have one way ticket to heaven. And when D-Day comes, we end up in hell. Because we didn't check our faith. So God says, I will keep on sending you trials so that you will know as you respond whether your faith is real. Because faith will respond only in one way. Flesh can respond in many ways. Faith responds only in one way. And that is how you and I know how genuine is our faith. So it says, it may be found on that day when it is being tested to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you are beaten, you cry. If you are beaten, you get angry. If you are beaten, you insult. Paul and Silas are beaten, they worship. Whose faith is genuine? That's how you know. Just a little example. Our faith has to be tested and to be found genuine. Our love has to be tested and to be found genuine. Our hope has to be tested and be found 
genuine. So God through famine, through trials is showing us. He knows already, but showing us whether it is genuine or not so that we will make appropriate changes. In James chapter 2 verses 20 to 22, scripture talks about Abraham. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Isaac his son on the altar? And what a verse 22 says. Do you see that faith was together with his work, working together with his works, and by works faith was made? Perfect. Many, many, many years ago, many years ago, maybe when you were 60 or 65, we do not know, Abraham had started the journey of faith when he had heard the voice of the Lord when he was in the Ur of the Chaldeans. But his faith was perfected many, many years later when on Mount Moriah he took his only begotten son of literally, of a miracle of God, he offered Isaac on the altar. That was when the journey of faith, his faith was perfected. Remember, there is this journey. Our faith has to be perfected. Our righteousness has to be perfected. Our love has to be perfected. Our hope has to be perfected. When our hope is perfected, then with absolute assurance, like Paul, we can say, my journey is over. I finished my race. Everybody quotes that. But Paul, when he's writing it's scripture, the Holy Spirit is putting there his scripture. Say, what he's saying, I am attesting it. He can see his crown. And I see his crown. He says, I am waiting for me. It's my crown. His hope is perfected where he does not only just see him in heaven. He's not seeing himself in heaven. He's seeing more than that. He says, I see myself with the crown of righteousness in this journey. My righteousness has been perfected and I see crowned. So Abraham's faith was perfected. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, this is what scripture says. Whoever keeps his word... Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. How do we know? Everybody says I love and 90% of the songs are about love. Even church songs are about love. But how do we know our love is perfected? The only way we will know that our love is perfected is when we keep his word. And his word gets more and more and more and more difficult as we go by. Are of the Chaldeans, Abraham, leave. Very easy. Left. Father also came. Everybody came. But God wouldn't move him because he got stuck. After his father died, God came and said, keep moving. He had to separate the nephew. At every stage, he had to throw Ishmael out. After that, finally, when he's old and he's got this heartthrob of a son called Isaac, wonderful young man, God says, take your son, your only son, Take a three-day journey and offer him. And now, it's not just his faith that is being perfected. His love. Do you love me more than do you love this boy? The only will know when you have to keep his word. Our faith is perfected. when it, for, for, for people in the world and even in the church, love is an emotion. Love is much more than an emotion. Love is more than an emotion. Because when you are caught between an emotion for something or somebody and this love to keep God's word. You love God, you love man. You love man, you love God. This is more tangible because this can be seen, this can be felt and you had a very physical experience with this person and with God it is spiritual. And then you realize you have to do something. What do I do? And God says you will know how you keep my word. Prophet Samuel loved King Saul. 
And I believe it's because his own sons had failed him and he loved this king. He was a handsome guy, handsome dude, began very well, then faltered. And when he faltered, on one particular day, God said, I have removed the kingdom from him. And he tore the kingdom from King Saul. Literally, physically, you could see that happens. The actual fact will happen only years later. But when this happened, you know, Samuel was heartbroken because he loved this man. He loved Saul. He loved God. Then he makes a statement there. You will never see my face again. So you've been rejected by God. And I love you. I will grieve over you all the days of my life, but you will not see my face again because I love him more and I will keep his word concerning you. That's why we need to understand love, God says, is this. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And God will deliberately ask us to keep very, very difficult things because it's got to do with us, not to do with him. Says, You say you love me. I want to show you that you really don't love me. Or, I want to use you as a model, Abraham, to tell all the world that you really love me. You really love me. And that's why God calls David also a man after my own heart. David, yes. The sword will not depart from yours. Yes, Lord. David, your son is dead. Arise! Go, wash, anoint, change your clothes, go to the temple and worship. Why are you worshipping? Because my son is dead. I love that guy. He will take judgment and he will keep my word. Famine in the land. He will go and quail. What do you want me to do, Lord? Seven. Okay, Lord, I will keep your word. People will say, you are brutal, you are murderous, you are a very vindictive man. You gave the previous king seven children. He says, I don't care. That's exactly what the Lord told me. I have to make my choice here. I give you three choices for all this thing, this thing, this thing. He says, let me fall in your hands, O Lord. These are not emotional decisions. These are faith decisions by which you know God's love is being perfected in us. And each one of us, if you choose to grow, will have to make difficult decisions in life where you will be misunderstood. People will not understand you. But God understands. And then... In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, scripture says, not only that, we also glory in tribulation. We not only rejoice in tribulations, now we start glorying in tribulation. When do you glory in tribulation? Because you realize through your tribulation, Christ is being glorified. Right? Paul and Silas were rejoicing in their tribulation in the prison at Philippi. But at the end of it, every prisoner was set free. The jailer was convicted. What began as a midnight's worship service ended up with a baptism service. Now they are not just rejoicing in their tribulation. They are glorying in the tribulation because Christ has received glory. That's what it's saying. You start glorying in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and that character brings the hope has been perfected. And what does verse 5 says? That hope does not disappoint. That you know very well. Absolutely sure. I know. I know. How do you know I know? Because it is written, no, I know. I know. I know. I know. How do you know God is real? Because I just talked to him in the morning. Can you prove me? No. You need to prove yourself. I am proved. I have no doubts. I know. 
It does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by His Holy Spirit who has given to us. So these three has to be tested, which does not disappoint. So Hebrews 11.19 will say, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In love, by faith, Abraham reached Mount Moriah, taking his son up, to kill him because he had this blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? Even if he dies, he will come back. Because he said so. So we will go back to Ruth and see from this young lady, Ruth, in chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that God had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. This is called in English reverse migration. People who keep on going wherever there is bread. And some of you young people make decisions about your jobs based only on bread and not the leading of the Holy Spirit. Our provision comes from God, not from your company. God has placed you in your companies for a reason and for a season. And if he doesn't tell you to move, don't move. And if you move, you are caught in Naomi's trap. Three widows on the road. At this point, it's a common denominator. Three widows all on the road on the way to Judah. Outwardly you look, they all look the same. One old, two young. When famine, these trials come, there are three things one can do. You can either, first, try to escape. Run. You can escape. That is the way of the flesh. And as I keep telling in the church, flesh is like a river. It flows where there is least resistance. See, scripturally, these people, the kings of Israel and Judah, the wicked ones, the crooked ones, were very, 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 very smart. They knew if people kept on going to Jerusalem to worship, they will develop character and perseverance and all that. So there's no need. Put one in Dan, one in Beersheba. Let you go to the house which is very close. Do you go to church, brother? Yes. Where do you go? Next door. Why? Because it's convenient. Where does the flesh flow? Yes. Have you ever gone a fasting and prayer meeting in your life? No, brother. Why? It's too difficult. Do you expect a breakthrough in your life? Yes. How does it come through? Fasting. Will you go? No. Why? Because others will fast for me. The river always flows where there is least resistance. Often when you run from your trials, remember you are also running away from the will of God. Orpha, you will see, will break and she will run. And you will never hear about her again. What if she hadn't run? What if she had followed like Ruth? Would we have had a book called the book of Orpha in the Bible? We will never know. But she's never heard about again. So many people in the kingdom of God, when they break under the trial and go back, to the ways of the flesh in the kingdom, they are never heard again. Second thing you can do is grit your teeth and hang in there. I'm not going to let this thing move me. You will end up being hard and bitter like Naomi. You may have the most beautiful name. What's her name? 
pleasant. But you are hard and bitter like. No, there are so many like that. What's your name, sister? Chris. <laughs> really? Okay, 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 sister. Okay, sister. Okay. And your sister, Mercy. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, 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 sister. And you talk to them, they will talk about all the trials they have gone through and they are hung in there. They get hard and bitter. Because your trial has become your master and you are the slave. That is what happened even to the Pharaoh. It made him harder and harder and harder until he cracked. Naomi of course will swing. She has these mood swings. She will swing. But you will know that Naomi is ultimately identified by bitterness. Listen to her in chapter 1 verses 20 to 21. She said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. If you listen to Naomi, you listen to Naomi and you believe it, you have no clue who I am. I'm this righteous, pure Israelite widow. Oh, but the God of Israel, very hard. Not fair. But I am right. He's wrong. You will see a lot of people, not so hard, but same meaning. They blame God for all their troubles. While most of our troubles, or if not all of our troubles, are a result of the decisions we took, Pharaoh would never acknowledge that the trouble Egypt was going through was because of him. King Saul will never acknowledge the trouble Israel was going through is because of the decisions he took. Ahab would never acknowledge the famine in his land was because of his trouble. He looked at Elijah and when he saw Elijah, what did he say? You, troubler of Israel. Elijah said, I didn't. Trouble Israel. You and your father's house has troubled the people by your sins. So, our second choice when trials testing come is grit our teeth and become like Naomi. Or we have the third choice. You turn your trial not into your master, but into your servant. And allow it to serve you. Allow it to serve you. That's what Peter, Apostle Peter, will enjoin the suffering church, the suffering apostolic, incredible persecution they are going through. And his apostolic letter to them is, don't let suffering Make you bitter. Don't let it become your master. Make it your servant. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. On your part, he is glorified. So his third option is, you can allow your trial to be your slave and allow Christ to work through it and allow him to receive the glory. So you will see this consistently, these patterns in the Bible. You will see this with Joseph. You will see this with David, you will see with Daniel, 
and in today's study you will see it with Ruth. They all triumphed under trials because they allowed the trials to serve them and reach them to that point, that destination where God wanted them to reach to the maturity of Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Ruth chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And both Mahalon and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. If you read the narrative carefully, you will see the boys got married after their father died, and it was Naomi's decision. She didn't oppose it. Now one day, three women are standing around three graves. There are natural deaths, there are accidental deaths, and there are judgmental deaths. But God is sovereign over all of them. Over all of them. What does scripture say? It is in verse 4. Verse 4. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha. The name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10. 10 years. Why is these figures given? What difference does it make to us whether they lived there 8 years or 10 years or 12 years? Because it is teaching. 10 is a symbol of God's judgment. He gave them 10 years in the land of Moab to see if they will change direction. When they didn't, they all died. The men died. It should have been a very, very sobering thought. Not only do you have three widows at the end of ten years in Moab, you have three childless widows. In a time and a season like that, you have no men to protect you, to take care of you. You are in big trouble. Ten years earlier, Moab had looked so promising. When Bethlehem looked dry, Moab looked so promising. But now Moab had become a cemetery. Bedel had looked so dry that day compared to the greenery and glittery of Sodom to Lot. But one day Sodom became a cemetery for Lot. Three widows staring at a bleak, bleak future. And then comes a glimmer of hope that we see in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She heard. Some passerby, somehow she got the news. Harvest is come back again. It's raining there. Harvest is there is food again. We don't know who brought the news. This is not about conviction. This is not that her trials or the rod of discipline of God has broken this lady and brought her to the conviction of her actions, which is making her go back. No, the only reason she is changing companies, to use your term, is because that company is now offering better pay. No conviction. conviction. Even the prodigal son came to his senses and went back to his father as a humble, broken young man and said, you don't call me a son. I'm just fit to be a servant. Not Naomi. Naomi will go back hard and bitter. The only reason she came back is now because there is bread in Bethlehem. And she will be nasty and say that he has dealt very unrighteously with me. 
tough with me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. In verse 7, Therefore she went out from the place where she was and the two daughters in law with and they are on the way to the land of Judah. So you have this road. Imagine in your mind a road. Three women representing three types of people in any church. We come back to the number three. Okay, Three kinds of people on the road to Judah. Noah's ark had three decks. Lower deck, middle deck, upper deck. Israel had three kings. Saul, David, Solomon. And after that, the kingdom split. The will of God is good, pleasing, perfect. The harvest that is brought in by the good soil is 30, 60, 100. And finally, when everything is over, there will be a new earth, a new heaven, and a new city. Everything in threes. Okay, Three women on the same road. At that point, Naomi changes her mind. In verses 8 to 9, she will start. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go! Return. Three times she will say, Go back! Go back! Go back! Go back! Go! 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 Return. Go! She will insist upon orphan Ruth to go back to their own house. Suddenly she woke up and realized, Oh, you are Gentiles. Why are you coming with me? After living with them for 10 years. Go! 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 They were coming to the land of the living God, but Naomi wants to stop them. Backslidden, lukewarm believers are a stumbling block. Are a stumbling block. Always. That's why Jesus says the last church, either be hot or be cold. Don't go to church, change your name. What's your name? Not Abraham, Muthukrishnan. <laughs> change your name. When the kids from the other background, when they come to the Lord and they are so zealous and take new names with a new identity, the believers who leave or the Christians who leave and never are faithful to the church, to the Lord or to the church should also change their name. Should change their name. But probably the other person from the other people from the other religion will beat him up. Saying you are abomination to our religion also. Backslidden, lukewarm believers are a stumbling block. Remember the ten spies? Ten guys came over there and discouraged the whole nation. Whole nation. Joshua and Caleb is trying to rally support, saying, yes we can, yes we can, yes we can, yes we can. Nobody. Did you see the young people? You saw that video over there? No? All you have to ask them, are you ready to worship? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, here in church, drum, guitar, worship. <laughs> you can get them to lift their hands. Here you cannot get them to keep it down. They are so excited to worship. What is she telling? Go back to your mother's house. Go back to your mother's house. Remember this. All those who want to serve the Lord and dedicate and consecrate and walk with the Lord. These are snares. These are snares. Luke 9 and verse 62. Why didn't you come to church? Jesus said to him, 
No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, you're not fit. You're fit. You're not fit. Remember even the great Elisha? Elijah came down Mount Horeb in the, from the presence of God. He said, I picked that guy to be your next prodigy. Train him, anoint him, teach him. Comes, take his mantle, puts on Elisha. Elisha understands. He says, can I go see daddy and mommy and say bye? Elijah said, what do I have to do with you? You go do whatever you want. You don't understand the call of God. You want to go say bye? And here is the believer telling two Gentile girls who want to follow her God, go back, go back, go back, go back. Mother's house. Go to your mother's house. In Hebrews 10, 38, this is what God says. The just shall live by faith. Keep on following God. Keep his word. Keep on going by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul is not pleased with him. It's the question I ask everywhere I go. Everybody loves God? Yes. Do you please God? No. The scripture says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God. So Orpha will break under that temptation. Break under the temptation. What is? Can we go back to that portion? What she says? She says, go to mother's house and the Lord will grant you that you may find rest. Ah, rest. Who doesn't like rest? Go back, go back, go back. Israel, you have to work a lot. You may have to walk a lot. In Moab, you get Inovas. Rest is. I told that pastors yesterday, every new person whom I do not know, they hear and says, Pastor, I want to join your ministry. I said, wow, great. You really want to join? Yes. Uh, how much support? What do they ask next? How much? Support. I want to say sometimes I'll give you a stick to lean on. That's the only support I will give you. And I started for 22 years, there was no support. Ease. Grant you that you may find rest. Eats in the house of a husband. Wow. Look at Orpha. Go back to mommy. You will find rest. And you can get married again. And you will have security. And they decided to go back. That's the promise of this world. The world always touches us where our emotions are stirred up. You can go back. This is very familiar ground. Your mommy is there. Your uncle is there. Your brother is there. All of them are there. Go back. Go back. Back. Oh, not only that, you will have rest there. That's an unknown future. Unknown future. As Joshua told the children of Israel, stay hundred yards, thousand yards behind the ark. Don't go near. But follow the ark because you're going to a place you have not known. You don't know. But be very sure. You can overcome, you can possess, you can love, you will have rest, but keep your eyes on the ark and move. But that's not a place you know. It's not familiar territory. The walk of faith is not familiar territory, but you can go because somebody has gone before. Walk of faith, sight is very easy because all familiar people are there. Familiar people are there. So sight, automatically people fall into sight and then say we are serving God. And God says, no, you are not. You cannot serve me my sight. So in verse 14, we will see the all, all this thing. Verse 14, sorry. Verse 14. You will see, they lifted up their voices and wept again. 
They lifted up their voices. Outwardly, if you look at Orpha is crying, Ruth is crying. Orpha is kissing, Ruth is kissing. But Ruth clung to her. Outwardly, if you see in any church, every church, they all look the same. Especially during worship. People cry, people kiss, people adore, people go on your knees. But how many are truly in their hearts clinging to the cross? Why is that we don't have the songs like the ancients wrote about the cross? We don't have everything is about love and love and Jesus, I love you so much. What about the cross? Paul says in the letter of Philippians, they are enemies of the cross. Not enemies of Christ. We love Christ. But we are enemies of the cross. We separate Christ from the cross and sell Christ alone without the cross. While Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. I preach Christ crucified. That's the problem. We won't cling. We get a chance. We weep. We cry. We kiss. And we go back. Ruth clung. As far as she knows, Naomi may be a bitter, hard lady, but she's the only light she has seen of the God of Israel in her life. And I'm not going to let go of that light. I'm not going to let go of that light. Are we getting the picture? What is she clinging to? Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, we saw. Oh, verse 15, okay. She's saying, look, even more temptation upon Ruth. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. So Naomi knew where she was sending her daughters-in-law. Go back to your people. Go back to your God. I don't care. If you perish, you perish. Go. Go back. Return after your daughter-in-law. Return after your daughter-in-law. That's what happens when our hearts get bitter. When our hearts get hardened. We don't care if others fall on the wayside by our words, by our actions. I don't care. You go back to your gods. How does it matter? That's Ruth. Sorry, that's Naomi. In verses 20 to 21, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again. Empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has afflicted me. Are you getting the picture? Before we go to Ruth, I want to look at Naomi. Naomi has got a problem which lots and lots of people, especially in the 21st century world, has. I want to read something before we go to that. You see, Naomi has got this problem which is called victim mentality. We are all victims. So many suffer like Naomi from victim mentality. Because our society, modern education, after Freud got into our world, told us, you don't have to take responsibility for your actions. We can blame always someone else. That every action you and I have taken, you can blame it on things that happened to you when you were a child or what others did to you. Therefore, you don't have to ever take responsibility for your actions. It's contrary to the scripture. In scripture, if you want deliverance, God says, stand up 
and take responsibility for your actions. I can set you free. I want to read something from Max Lucado's book called Applause to Heaven. This is about a guy called uh, Robert Reed. This guy was born with CP, cerebral palsy. He can walk. He has to be carried, but he learned. He learned. His clothes are put on Velcro. Wherever he's taken, he's carried and put on a table and the microphone is given. And it says, I heard Robert speak recently. I wanted other, I watched other men carry him in his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them lay a Bible in his lap. I watched his stiff fingers force open the pages and I watched people in the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand up in the air and said, I have everything I need for joy. His shirts are held together by Velcro. His life is held together by joy. And he asked this question, can we? Because Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, going for a walk, but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending church, from which he graduated with and university, from where he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at a junior college or from going to overseas missions five times. Robert's disease did not keep him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room, began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in a park where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord. Either we can blame it on others like Naomi or blame it even on God. And we'll never know our deliverance. Or we can choose to do what Jesus says. In John chapter 5, verses 6 to 7, Jesus comes. He comes to the poolside at Bethsheda and there is a man lying there for 38 years. He goes asking questions, asking questions. Nobody knows it is Jesus. They have no clue it is him. He asks and then they tell that man is the one who has been lying there long as 38 years. So he went to him. He had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? Strange question. No? It's, you need to read the questions God asks people in the Bible. Do you want to get well? What do you want? What do you want? Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. What is he saying? It's not my problem. Everybody is against me. Nobody helps me. Nobody helps me. You see, sir, I have nobody. But Everybody lying around you are also cripples, right? How do you expect them to put you into the pool? Nobody. And when the water is stirred up, while I am coming, another steps down. Once a year, God in his mercy, during the silent period in Israel's history, he would send an angel who would come and stir the waters. First one who gets in, gets healed. That's why they are all lying around that pool. 
So Jesus comes and asks, what do you want? And in verse 8 he tells him, Jesus said to him, rise, pick up your mat and walk. What is he saying? Stop blaming others. You want to get well, get up. First get up. Stop making excuses. Get up. Two, pick up your mat. Take responsibility for your own life. You either make it or break it. Nobody can break you. You either make it or break it. Because God is for you. He's not against you. Take responsibility for your own action, for your own life. In Ezekiel 18, if I'm right, verses 1 to 4. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Father has bitten on sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on. He said, don't use that in Israel. You can use it in the world. Don't use it in Israel. What do people say? You know, pastor, I was born in this village. That's why I never did well. Really? Are you a Christian? Yes. So what difference does it make? Jesus was also born in a village. No, I come from a dysfunctional family. Where? What family do you think Joseph came from? His mother was dead. His father had three other wives. His brothers hated him. And he came from the most dysfunctional family ever. And he became the prince of Egypt. Don't blame it on others, he says. In Israel, God says, let the Gentiles use it. The house of God, don't use it because God is for you and not against you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? That's why God says, I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose life. Somebody can't choose it for you. You have to make your choices. Ultimately, your choices will make you. That's what God is telling this man. What do you want? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Pick up your mat and walk. Stop blaming others. Take responsibility for your life and move on because God is there for you. Our God is there to redeem, to deliver, to restore, to heal. That's the first statement Jesus makes in his ministry. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. But do you want to be free? Because people don't like freedom. Because freedom means taking responsibility for your own life. That's why God didn't tell him, get, rise up and go. He said, no, rise up, take your mat. Because I know you. I know humans. The problem is when you go home, first day they will be excited. Oh, our son is walking after 38 days, 2 days, 3 days, 4 days. Later. Said, ah, what are you going to do? Sit like this and eat in the home. Why don't you go do some work? But I have to work? Yes. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I am searching everywhere. Nobody is giving me a job. Then idea. The old mat is still there. Old mat is still there. Amma. You will see plenty on the streets of Hyderabad. Plenty. And they can work. My, when we go in the car, when these little kids come over there, my wife will call them and says, I got an orphanage. Do you want to come there? Run for their life. They don't want to get to the orphanage and study and all. They like that life. Pick up your mat and walk. That's exactly what God tells everyone. Everyone. 
Don't make excuses for your failure. You failed because you chose, but I was there for your success, not for your failure. I was there for you as a God, as a father to see that you succeed. Let the Gentiles use that proverb. He says in Israel, don't use it and don't use it in the church either. So in Matthew 6, 28 to 29, God actually says, Oh, I got it wrong. Maybe it's seven. Where it says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Matthew 11, okay. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you. I will give you. Yes. So the only answer to this question, because it is scripture breathed by the very spirit of God, if you don't have rest in your trials, you did not go to him. That's the only answer. You can't blame anything or anybody. It has got nothing to do with your storm because in the midst of a terrible storm and the boat is rocking 180 degrees, Jesus could sleep. He didn't say, I will stop your storm. He said, I will give you rest. So if you don't have rest, the only answer I know from reading this is that I did not go to him. He said, come to me. All of you are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Nobody else can, only he can. Two, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Not only that, he says, I will give you rest for your soul, continuous. But for that continuous rest to walk in, he says, you have to take my yoke, and you have to learn of me. And only the meek and the lowly can learn, because he gives grace only to the humble, not to the proud. Proud knowledge, proud people acquire knowledge, humble people acquire grace. And it's grace that makes you overcome. Knowledge just puffs you up. It doesn't give you, help you one bit in your walk with God or to face trials and temptations. That's what happens here. So God says, come. The cry of God to mankind is, come, come, come. What can he do if you don't go? I will give you rest. From rest, he doesn't want us to stop here. From rest, he wants us to move to even more now usefulness, to be a blessing. Now that I have rested in the Lord, he says, no, that's not the whole purpose. Now I want you to be a blessing to others, bring rest in their lives. In John chapter 7, he will say, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And what will happen? He who believes in me has the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow. Reversal. You are not just rest. You are not just full. You are not just blessed. You will be a blessing. If I am not a blessing, what's the problem? I did not go. And if I went, I did not drink. That's the only answer. I mean, we have to be apt. So that's what I said. This is the only book when you read, if you read. When you read, and if you read, which reads you back. Why do I, Lord, I don't have rest. He says, because you didn't come to me. You are reading a Bible, and you are praying, but you didn't come to me. Lord, I want to be your blessing. Yes, do you want? Come to me. Drink. And you shall be your blessing. You shall be a blessing. I said to one man centuries ago, Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing. But what I meant was every seed of Abraham shall be a blessing. That is the promise of the Spirit. You read Galatians. That was the promise. Do you want to be a blessing? Do you remember Ezekiel's vision of the river? In Ezekiel 47 verses 7 to 12, 
When I returned, there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley, enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. This river that flows from the very throne room of God and through each one of us. When it flows and meets salty, bitter water, the power of this water is more powerful than that. It starts making that water sweet. The power of God's spirit flowing through Ruth is so powerful, it will ultimately make Naomi who is Mara back into Naomi. Because Ruth refuses to allow the bitterness of Naomi get into her. Instead, she allows God to work through her into Naomi's life. So that one day, Naomi will hold Ruth's baby and say, I am blessed. How did she receive a blessing? Through Ruth. That's what God is saying. You can be healed. And you become a healing for others. Verse 9 and 10. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go therefore they will be healed. And everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Englame and there will be places for spreading their nets. The fish will be out of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea. Exceedingly many. 11 and 12. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. But there will be swamps. What is a swamp? You have built a barrier of mud around you, of flesh around you. When the river comes there, it skirts you and follows. This, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen there. Why? Because you block the river. That's why I said last Sunday, the river flows where it pleases river of God. The wind blows where there is no resistance. When the wind blows, the trees have two choices. Either bend or be broken. You don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. You do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Yet, all kinds of trees, they will bear fruit every month because the water flows from this sanctuary. So it's symbolic. It's not talking about anything earthly. The water is flowing from the very throne room of God. And God is saying, you know what? That was my whole plan. When I sent my son over here, filled him with the spirit and the spirit flowed through him. He walked around 20 square miles in his entire three and a half years ministry. Blessed everybody. Then when he died, I wandered a thousand, a ten thousand, ten million little Jesuses to arise his life through them and be a blessing to the whole world. They would be the hands and the feet and the life of my son. So the question is, are we a blessing? That's the promise in Psalm 1 and verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall not prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. Age makes no difference. You only become more and more and more fruitful in the kingdom of God if you are planted by that river. If that river, that life is flowing through you, age doesn't matter. Maybe it will take a toll on your body and like Zach Poonan, yes, you have to sit and preach now. But boy, now it is getting purer and purer. Or oh, Rebizake, all white and big patch over here, but now it is even more purer. Purer. Or John Piper, all over here. Aren't they getting better and better and we look at it, wow Lord, I 
want to be like that when I grow old. I want to be like that. That's the story in the Bible. In his old days, even on the day he is dying, leaning on his staff, sons of Israel, sons of Jacob, come. Listen to what your father has to say. Wow. Last day of his life, prophesying over the twelve tribes. And everything he said is coming to pass even now. Wow. Wow. What a beginning. What an end. In the beginning, he was a crook. At the end, fruitful tree. God says, because I am for you, I am not against you. That's the promise Jacob will speak over Joseph in Genesis 49, 22 and 24. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by the well. His branches run over the wall. What does it mean? I am a blessing only to my family. My wife is blessed. My children are blessed. My dog is fat. My cat is fat. What about your neighbors? What about the people around you? Do they look around and say you are a blessing? No. I am very blessed. I am very prosperous. And I am very happy with that. God said not Joseph. His branches run over the wall. He realized I am not just blessed. I am blessed to be a blessing. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot him and hated him. He didn't reach there in one day. He didn't reach there without trial. He had to go through pain and suffering. But his bow remained in strength. He remained steady, perseverant, consecrated, dedicated to his aim. I will glorify the God of Israel. I will not allow this to take me away from the track. How steady is your bow? Because if your arrow has to meet its target, your bow has to be steady. If your hand shakes, your arrow will never. He says the bow is steady. Through all these attacks, trials in Potiphar's palace, in prison, accusation, slander, prison, dungeon, he kept steady, kept his eyes on Christ. That's what God is saying. But how? His hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. God of Jacob. He was not holding. If you looked at him pictorially, you could see he holding his bow. But there was another hand over his hand. That was the hand of the God of Israel. That's what keeps you steady. Don't ever take this and put it into flesh and I will be steady. No, you and I can. That's what Jesus said straight away. You can do nothing without me. But with me, you can do all things. I will hold my hand in your hand and keep you steady. Nothing could change. Joseph, he remained steady. That is how we face trials. That is how we face adversity. That's how the early church faced adversity. When persecution came, in Acts chapter 8 verses 1 to 3, scripture says, Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostle. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The church should have said, the apostles never told us this. We didn't sign up for this. We thought, if you accept Christ, health, wealth, no suffering, and a one-way ticket to heaven when everything is over. That's what you hear today, right? They, they never reacted that way. How do you know? Because they counted it as joy. Verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Can you preach? In your trial? If you know Christ... In your trial, in your tribulation, in your affliction, you will still preach the word because you are a testimony. 
You remember Paul in Joseph thrown into the dungeon. You have to read scripture carefully. He's not just in a normal prison. He's in a dungeon. And he Christ is innocent. Falsely accused, falsely thrown into prison. He could have been the most bitter, miserable person like Naomi who was not innocent, was guilty and is bitter. Joseph is innocent and not bitter. But his breakthrough comes that in that day in the prison, there are two people over there, a butler and a baker. And he looks at them and says, why are your faces downcast? Why are you discouraged? Does any discouraged person see another person's discouragement? No. Because they are full of themselves. When they look in the mirror, only they see themselves. They don't see anybody else. Me and myself. Joseph was not that. Innocent man, put in prison, and he's looking at the troubles of others. That's his breakthrough. From there, he can only go up. That was his final test. That's what the Bible is talking about. That's what we learn from Ruth and Naomi. You can choose to be like Naomi, or you can choose to be like Ruth. Naomi let her and her, her, her circumstances define her. She became bitter and a stumbling block to a young believer like Orpha. Ruth let the same trial become her servant. I am going to allow God to work through it. She was meek and lowly too. She had faith. She had faith. But she had no knowledge. Lord of you young people have faith. But you have no knowledge. She had faith, but she had no knowledge. But because she was meek and lowly, though she had faith, she recognized, I don't have knowledge. And the one who has knowledge is Naomi. I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to just commit myself into her hands and let her lead me. That's what people don't do. People don't do that. That's what I said. Everyone I have seen in Christendom who have started and finished, they were mentored. They were mentored. They came under a hand and they finished their course. But there are those ones who get a little knowledge, a little faith. They will never stay under the hand. They run away and they run away. Five years later, six of the list, scattered, gone. Elijah had an Elisha. Moses had a Joshua. But Joshua made a mistake. Joshua had rest those 40 years, but he never mentored anybody. So the book of Judges is the book of the failure of Joshua. To mentor generate a next generation who would walk. That's what we are trying with you and that's why we are tough with you. By being tough with you I don't expect everybody to disciple. I don't need. One or two is enough. One Eric will change Jharkhan, one Cyrus will change Bhutan. You need two. You don't need many. God never used numbers in the kingdom of God. He looks for individuals who will come under his mighty hand because he says come under the mighty hand of God and in due season he will exalt you. But the mighty hand of God spiritually, physically it will be the hand of a man. And some of those men can be very rough. Do you think Elijah was a very polite man? A rough old in old English he could, he was like a bear he was. 10 years, 11 years Elisha. Walking under him, walking under him. And all Elisha is known as the man who poured, washed the hands of Elijah. But Elijah knew one thing. Elisha knew one thing. I got an anointing. I got a faith. Man, this man knows God. And I don't care what he does, what he says. I am not going to stop following this man. Towards the end, the man is saying, stop. You don't have to come any further. I'm going. He says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I am not going to leave you. I want to cling to you. 
I am not. Finally they cross river Jordan and he crosses across. And he says, okay. Okay, I see. You are perseverant. You are determined. What do you want? He says, I want double portion of your spirit. Double portion of your spirit. He says, that's a hard thing you have asked because I can't give it to you. Can't give it to you. That only God can give. But I will tell you whether you will get it or not. If you see when I am being taken, if you see when I am being taken, that means you will get it because it is connected with seeing. That means your eyes are opened. That's the question. Slight digression. Go to John chapter 15 and verses 14 and 15. 15, not 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. I laugh when I hear these modern songs which says, Jesus, my friend, Jesus, my friend. Has Jesus told you anything, revealed you anything from the father lately? What has he told you lately? What has he revealed to you from the heart of the Father that you are calling him friend? I have no right to call Jesus friend. He has to call me first. Okay, you are my friend. Moses had to climb Mount Moriah, put his son on the altar and lift his God. Then God said, you, my friend, because you have kept my word, you have obeyed me. And I'm revealing to you now about the future. People take all this carnally in the flesh with no revelation, nothing at all and sing these sentimental romantic Bollywood songs. Jesus, my love, my friend. It's not there. For a servant does not know what the master is doing. Do you know what the master is doing? If you don't know, you're just a servant. You're just a servant. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. May not to you. I said, I'm telling you. Yes, Lord. 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 That's what I told Pastor Vijay. I said, son, watch me. When you go for meetings like this, you can never go prepared. Because you have to move with the Spirit. Because this is a new crowd, young believers, different ages, different towns, different churches, different denominations, different experience. You can never go prepared for this. Watch and follow the Spirit. As he tells you, rise, low. Rise, low, move, because you have to allow the spirit to move, otherwise you will allow your flesh to block it. You cannot go prepared. You simply cannot. You have to listen to him and minister accordingly, because he only knows the people. We don't know. We don't know. Ministry is not a joke, church. It's a real thing, and it's an exciting thing. Incredibly exciting thing, if you know how God speaks and how we, when you look back, like, like Elijah could say, Lord, the trench, the water, everything, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense at all. We want fire, you are asking for water, everything is drenched, everything, Lord. But I'm not saying anything because I speak, people also will be discouraged, I'm keeping quiet, I'm doing it, everything. And then finally he says, Lord, I have done everything according to your word. Prove yourself. Prove yourself. Prove yourself. I can't do. That's why Paul says, Paul plans Apollo's waters. Nobody can bring increase. Only God and God alone. Nobody. You cannot heal a single person. You cannot deliver a single person. You cannot save a single person. Only God can. Nobody can. Nobody. Only God can. 
God is for us. He is not against us. He is for us. He is not against us. So Ruth is meek. She is lowly. She humbles under the hand of the God of Israel. Only problem, that hand is represented by Naomi. But she has no issues. She has no issues. She humbles under the hand. If only people humble under hands which God places over them, they will go a long, long way. Oh, at every stop, Jordan, Jericho, Bethel, sons of the prophets are there. They have revelation. Oh, do you know your master is being taken today? Of course I know. What do you think? You are, and I, you are the only guys who have revelation. I also have the revelation. But why are you not following? Next place. Do you know your master is being taken today? Yes. What are you doing about nothing? What is Elijah doing for? Every point, the sons of the prophets, Bible colleges are there everywhere. Do you know the latest? Yes. What are you doing about nothing? And then when this fellow sees Elijah being taken, they are saying, oh, where is Elijah? Where is Elijah? Where is Elijah? Let's go search for him. Finally, Elisha is so ashamed, scripture says, so ashamed, he let them Go search, please go search. Otherwise, I will look bad that I don't care for him. My master is dead, lying somewhere, and these fellows will think that I don't care. Okay, go, go, go search. You know how it happens? Humbling under the hand of God. Humbling under the hand of God. Ruth is wise because she humbled under the hand of, a rough hand, it's a very rough hand of Naomi. But Naomi is wise. Naomi is wise. Naomi knows the ways of God, though God won't speak to her. Samuel is wise. Samuel is a young kid. He's a wise kid. He stays close to Eli. Eli is rejected of God, but Eli knows the ways of God. But he has been rejected. So Samuel stays close to Eli and allows Eli to mentor him. Samuel! He runs. Did he call me? No. Go back sleep. Samuel! Did he call me? Yes. No, I didn't call it. Go sleep. Samuel, third time. Okay. okay. I got it. I got it, Samuel. I got it. God is talking to you. He's speaking to you. I understand his ways. He's speaking to you. You do one thing. Next time you hear Samuel, say, Lord, here I am. Samuel says, and the Lord speaks to Samuel. Half the stuff he speaks to Samuel is about Eli. He comes back. Eli looks at him and says straight away, don't keep one word from me, what God has spoken to you about me. I know God. I know his ways. He's rejected me, but that doesn't mean I don't know his ways. Tell me what he said. And Samuel has to give the whole story. Do you understand how the kingdom of God is built? How the kingdom of God is built? As I close, two verses, three verses, we shall close. There's another smart lady. Now, that's not. there are only two books in the entire Bible written after women. There are two smart women. Two humble, smart women. One is Gentile, the other is Jew. One is Ruth the Moabite, the other is Esther the Jew. Both of them humbled under the hand that was placed over them. Esther humbled under her uncle Mordecai. Whatever Mordecai told, she did. She did. Sometimes it was very difficult, but she did it. Finally, she is there in the king's harem. To humble under Mordecai's hand for Esther the Jewish virgin meant to end up in a Gentile king's harem. But she humbled. She humbled. And she went there. Because she realized, I trust his wisdom. 
trust his wisdom. Now there was this procedure in the king's harem. Every girl, plenty of girls are there. Every girl has to go through 12 months of beauty treatments. So naturals was there then also. Okay. Okay. So all these girls have to lie, have to do facial, mask, care, the eunuchs, okay, with all these eyes showing. That's how they had eunuchs, so that they wouldn't get scared. Okay. <laughs> okay. So 12 months of beauty treatment. At the, scripture is very clear. At the end of 12 months, each girl is called to the king's harem. At that day when they are called, evening they can go, but that day when they are called, the girl has the freedom to choose anything in the harem. Pick your dress, pick your ornaments, pick whatever, 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 and go as you like dressed. It's interesting. Esther 2.13 Thus prepared, each woman went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarter to the king's palace. And everybody's chance was this, okay, I will pick this dress, I will pick this head, I will pick, pick, and they dressed and they went. The whole desire is this. They go to the king, the king spends time with them, and the king will desire them, and he will call them again, and make make them maybe the queen. This is the whole idea. One day Esther's time also came. With a difference. When Esther's time came, can I have the next verse? Now the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king. She requested nothing. But what Hegai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of women, advised. Even there she came under the hand of God. Hegai is a type of the Holy Spirit. She said, I am being called to the king. I don't know the king. I don't know what he likes. You know. Tell me, sir, whatever you pick for me is fine for me. Whatever you pick for me is fine for me. So Esther obtained favor in the sight of Whoever met a why? Because she was a humble woman who came under the hand of everyone placed over her by God. And you know what scripture says? After that, yeah. The next verses I gave you. Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. Look at it. Do you think this is an accident? Seven in God's Kingdom is perfection. Tenth is judgment. On the tenth month of the seventh year, she had reached a perfection in her obedience and God says, I will extend my hand of mercy on you. You will be picked as a queen for my purpose so that you will intervene in the palace and save my people. Save my people. King loved Esther more than all the other women and she obtained grace and favor in sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vasti. What was the only reason? Because she sold her guy. You pick for me. What you choose for me is fine. This is what people don't understand. That is why God says many are called. Very few will be chosen. The reason we will not be chosen is because as soon as we are called, we run. We run. We don't stay. We run. We don't stay. Church, learn. Because this is connected with our eternal destiny. There is a day, not King Ahasuerus, there is a day King Jesus is going to pick his bride. And King Jesus is going to pick his bride the men and the women in the church who told our heavenly Hegai, you pick for me what you want for my life. You change me into that meek, beautiful,
person whom Jesus loves. I really don't know what Jesus likes, but you know. But you know. You know. Make me into that person, O oh Lord. Make me. What you say is fine with me. You make me into that person. When I finish my race, I want to be that person in whom the king is well pleased. The king is well pleased. I will say, sit beside me. Church, take your crown. Sit beside me. That's end of our salvation. Beginning, come. All who are weary, heavy laden, come. I'll give you rest. End, be seated on my side as I overcame and sat on the throne of my father. If you overcome, you will sit beside me on the throne. Don't forget the end of your salvation and don't get fooled like Orpha or, or Naomi. Be wise like Ruth. This year, God demands even more consecration, even more dedication if you are on this journey because each year it's not going to get lesser, it's only going to get tougher. Because he's graduating people from one level to the other level because he's a father and he's interested in our future. Amen? Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. As we see your spiritual truths in your word, Father, we know all this is possible. Only by faith and faith alone. So like that father cried, and like the disciples cried, we also pray, Lord, increase our faith. But we just don't say increase our faith. We also, Lord, increase our obedience. That we might truly see, and not just take soulish decisions based on the intellect or the emotions. But we be able to take decisions that are according to your will. People might misunderstand us. People might be angry. But that is not the point of God. We need to please you. And without faith, it is impossible to please you, Lord. Help us to walk by faith. We need more anointing this year than last year. Because what you demand of us this year is more than that of last year, O Lord. Last year's anointing won't do. For 2017, we need more, we need more, we need more. That's why you told us, come and drink. And your word in the book of Revelation 22 ends with the bride and the spirit crying, come and drink freely. We want to drink more of you, Lord, your spirit. Learn more of you through your word. Teach us, Lord. We just humble ourselves under your hand, O God. We just humble ourselves under your hand. Because you are a merciful God, a loving Father, a compassionate Father, but also a righteous judge. So everything that you do towards us is through the hand of love. Help us not to become like Naomi. Naomi did not see the loving hand behind the rod of discipline. Ruth saw. Naomi lost. But Ruth also lost. But she saw the hand of the God of Israel differently. She saw the loving hand behind that rod. Help us to see when you discipline us. It's the loving hand of a father who is disciplining us so that we might share in your righteousness one day. Thank you. Thank you, Father. As your people go, I bless them in your name, Lord. Let them be blessed when they go home. Let them be blessed when they go out in their offices, schools, colleges tomorrow. Let them be a blessing to others, O Lord. Father, we pray as a church and for all our churches and all your people around the world, let the river flow.
Let there be no swamps, no marshy areas. Let flesh or the soul not block your river. Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow and bring life wherever it goes, oh God. We just love you, Father. We just love you, love you, love you. And now as your people, we lift up holy hands and we just bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen, amen.